Welcome to the Mom Life. I'm Sarah Jordan. And today I am joined by Katie Craft. And Katie and I have had our paths crossing for a long time. And I feel like when you grow up in Southern Indiana, your paths generally do cross <laughs> some way or another. And it's funny because when my parents moved down here when I was three, in the church we went to was this small little church in the country and everyone knew everybody and everyone was somewhat related. It seemed like to everybody and we were not related to anyone. And I always remember people like, well, who's your aunt? Who's your grandma? Are your cousins here? And I'm like, I don't have any here, but there was one family that I feel like, well, it seemed like the whole church is named after. And that was your family. <laughs> yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> what was it like growing up in such a Big family, all the cousins, holidays being, I'm sure they're still huge. Yeah, so fun. Um, obviously, COVID kind of messed yeah. things up these last couple of years. But um, no, it's all of our... So I grew up in St. Louis, actually, even though my, our whole family is here. But my dad's family is here. But um, I was born in St. Louis and my four siblings and I grew up in St. Louis, um, moved here when I was in fifth grade. But every, almost every vacation we took, whether it was like spring break or... Easter weekend or Christmas break or anything, it was always to Floyd's Knobs, Indiana, specifically Navelton, Indiana, um, to visit our family because it just meant that much to, um, you know, my parents and us. And that didn't seem weird to me. Now looking back at it, I'm kind of like, that is pretty amazing that we took every every single opportunity we could, um, you know, to drive four and a half hours here with four kids. <laughs> um, now that I have kids, I understand that. Uh, and it's... I'm very, very grateful for how close our family is. That reminds me of how I was when I was a kid. Since I my parents moved here from Cleveland when I was little, every time we would go away to a vacation of some sort, we would always end up going to Cleveland six hours away. And that was every time, two to three times a year. We were always driving back there. There was other big family vacations along the way. But like we knew that every Christmas we were going up there, every summer we were going up there, and probably Memorial Day, Labor Day. So in a similar vibe, and you're right, now that I also have kids, especially little ones that are close in age, it's crazy to think that our parents did that with that many kids with a lot less electronic yeah. devices to keep people entertained. <laughs> exactly. Somehow we made it through. Somehow they did it. So, okay. You grew up in Southern Indiana or no, I'm sorry, St. Louis. You moved back to Southern Indiana when you were in fifth grade. Mm -hmm. And what was it like coming? Well, I guess it was at least a familiar area to you. It was still home in a way. Yeah. Um, lots of, you know, landmarks or things like that around here were familiar to me since we had been traveling back here so often. Um, but just again, looking back on it now, I'm amazed at how calm me and my siblings were about moving to a whole new place, going to a whole new school. Um, and it just seemed, it did not phase us. I mean, I, I don't want to speak for all of my siblings or anything, but for me, it did, it really didn't phase me going into fifth grade. Um, you know, coming to Holy Family School, I, my cousin was in my class, first of all, so that was one thing, but um, everyone was so welcoming. My best friend, the first person I met uh, at volleyball tryouts before school started um, is still my best friend, and I'm in her wedding, and my, and anyway, coming up. That's uh, adorable. Yeah, so it's, it's just pretty amazing that it all worked out that way. Um, I mean, there's something truly special about having childhood friends that become adult friends and then fellow mom mm -hmm. friends. And then it's even more full circle when all of a sudden I'm going to these kindergarten meetings and first grade meetings. And I'm in the same mm -hmm. school system I grew up in back with the same people. I went to high school, but now it's our kids going to school together. And it's like, you never think that, oh, 
I'm going to be spending at least another 12 years with these people and then add on all the years from all your other kids that are also in school together. And it's like, oh my gosh, these people that you grew up with are now going to be the people you spend lots and lots and lots of time with. Right. And all we can do is pray that our kids meet the right kids. And exactly. have relationships like that because it's pretty, pretty special. It is really special. That's something that mm-hmm. since I grew up around here, my husband didn't. And he's like, do you know all of these people? And I'm like, no. But I do know quite a significant significant portion of them. Some heck, some of the teachers are still the same. So yeah. um, now, growing up, I know that you and I, while I think I'm about five years older than you, we were both fueled by music. I started off in orchestra, and that eventually transitioned into theater at Floyd Central High School. How did you find your way into theater at Floyd Central? Well, um, I was at Holy Family uh, Catholic School up in, through eighth grade. Um, and then coming into high school, big public high school that I had never, you know, been a part of public schools before, really. Um, and at that point, I really was just a piano kid. Um, I had taken piano lessons since kindergarten. And that's that was kind of my niche. And I didn't... Uh, didn't necessarily have much theater experience up until then, except for dance at Weber School of Dance. And so I kind of met some people through there and, you know, realized how great the theater program was um, to be a part of. And it kind of just snowballed from there. And I'm just, again, grateful that that even happened um, because, yeah, met a lot of great people, a lot of phenomenal teachers um, through through that just little choice to be in theater and be in choir uh, coming in as a freshman. So dance wise, I know you're, you have three sisters and a brother, correct? Two sisters. Two, yes. I'm sorry. Four kids. You're the oldest, yes. correct? Yep. Yep. Was it hard being the oldest of a group of four, especially considering, I guess, three sisters? Because I'm one of three sisters, but you've got the brother combo in there too. So was that a dynamic childhood? I'm sure. It was. And, um, you know what I, whenever people say, um, you know, oh gosh, you have two sisters and we're all two and a half years apart with uh, my youngest brother as well. Um, you know, people always say, oh gosh, there must've been a lot of, a lot of fighting or a lot of, you know, stealing each other's clothes or whatever. And honestly, we did not, I don't mean to paint like a perfect picture. There were moments, but we did not get in huge fights or anything. We had a lot of the same friends, especially my sister, who's just two and a half years younger than me. Um, she and my other sister, we were all in theater. We were all in choir. We were all in dance and we all kind of were in the same circles. Um, and yeah, we all had the same friend groups and it just was really cool. Um, growing up with my sisters like that. Uh, I do know one of your sisters. I know Christina and she is so stinking sweet. (laughs) Yeah. She's great. Your whole family. I mean, again, you guys just have one of those relationships, those big family relationships that people look at and they're like, Oh my gosh, I wish I was that close to my siblings or I wish I had that many cousins. It's bizarre to me because my dad was one of eight kids. So I also have in Cleveland, ton of cousins and my husband's an only child and his mom is an only child. And so they have like this really small family. And I remember it, when I first met him, I was like, wait, the entire family can fit around four generations, one table. Wow. Right. 
<laughs> yeah, my both my husband and I have massive families, and so yeah, that's it's bizarre. Really important, but yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's not one of those things you like. He obviously couldn't control any of those things, but yeah. I knew that he was the one because he wasn't scared of my big family. <laughs> yeah, that's the big test, right? When they walk in yes. for the first time, do they look terrified by all the people, or yes, they take it in stride. Lots of people. It's loud. We're huggers. So if you can mm-hmm. take that in stride, then you're going to be just fine. So exactly. we did bring up your husband and you and him actually, you met pretty well in middle school. So you met him pretty a- soon after you moved back from St. Louis, correct? Yes. Um, he, he, yeah, he was in my homeroom class uh, in fifth grade and um, we, we weren't necessarily friends right away or anything. I mean, it's a small school, so we knew each other, but um, towards like end of seventh grade, eighth grade ish, we became really good friends. Um, and then through that time, through really beginning years of high school and we went to different high schools still, but, um, we talked, I mean, every day and this was before really texting and all that. So we, you know, AIM every day. Oh yes. Um, you gotta love the aim. Yeah. Um, and so we just became really close that way. And, uh, he come to find out, I guess he, kind of from the beginning had, um, you know, had interest in more than friendship. And I was a clueless and be not interested at all for several years. Um, so it was about probably junior year. Uh, yeah, right before junior year of high school, um, where when we finally started dating, but that was a, a long process of friendship first. So it's so crazy to me, because I think I know at least four to five couples that are all high school sweethearts. And so now they've been together over 15 years. I mean, but if you include dating time, I mean, you really are edging in on closer to almost 20, which is crazy because I mean, like if you think about how old we are, that's a long time. I mean, you've been with your husband now half your life. Right. And that's, it doesn't feel that way at all, which I guess is a good thing. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, no, it's, I mean, so many times, almost daily, probably we look at each other and we're like, how did we even get here? Like, how do we get to own a house together, get to have a family together, get to, cause we're still, you know, he's still really my best friend. Um, and yeah, just through <laughs> the grace of God and through, you know, um, being, being together. I mean, it's just been pretty amazing. So. so you guys met that young, you were in school, you obviously love dance, you love theater, and you weren't just like a little dabbler in theater. You were a leading role. Like you were, I know you did all of the magical dinners with acapella choir, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You were in all of the choir. I mean, you weren't just, again, somebody, I was talking to one of my friends the other week and she did theater and I said, why didn't you pursue that in college? And she was like, I wasn't good. Um, and she jokingly said that to about herself. She was good, but you were on a different level. So did you take that into college? Uh, yeah, I did. I studied music education in college, vocal music education. Um, <clears throat> and so I did go the education route versus the performance route, which I knew, um, oh, probably by junior year of high school, um, I knew that I, that was the route I wanted to go. Um, just because really my my role model through um, high school was Angela Hampton, who is still at Play Central as the choral director, and she's just phenomenal at, at everything she does. Um, but I learned so much from her um, on the choir side of things, and really even just as a teacher, um, just 
how organized she is and how on top of things and prepared um, she always is. And that's uh, something I really, really wanted to emulate um, in college and, and beyond. So now you, you and your husband obviously stayed together through college. At what point did you guys end up getting married? Uh, we got engaged the, oh goodness, September. Yeah, it was Labor Day weekend of senior year. Um, and then our wedding was a month after we graduated college. So he went to Marion University in Indy and I went to Ball State. Okay. So two big families. How many people were at your wedding? <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, the final count, which was hard to have a final count, but I believe it was in the 420s, 400s. Oh. Um, we invited over 500, so just, you know, a small, small wedding. But when you have that big of a family, it's like, okay, if I say no to these people, then I'm going to have to say no to all of these people. Otherwise these people are going to get mad. It turns into a whole thing. Yes. And like you said, we both have large families and we did check to make sure that somewhere down the line, we weren't, we are not. (laughs) Wait, you had to check. (laughs) Um, now, so yeah, I mean, it's not in Indiana. Big families, you just don't know sometimes. Okay, so I have to bring up something funny that I have that obviously not just I have noticed because I've seen you guys post about this too. How many Katie's are in the family? Oh my goodness! So my husband Jacob, his sister is Katie, Katie Craft. Um, now she's married, so she's not a Katie Craft anymore. But then his brother married a Katie. She is now Katie Craft, and now I'm Katie Craft. So in our wedding. By the end of his sister wasn't married yet. So by the end of the ceremony, there were three Katie Crafts in the wedding. And my best friend from growing up's name is Katie as well. So there were four Katies in the wedding and three Katie Crafts. And do we get confused all the time? Uh, Yeah. Yeah. So how do you, do you guys have like Katie one, Katie two, Katie original, Katie, like, do you have it? You keep it straight. We get this question a lot. And actually, somehow, we all kind of know who we're talking to or who to look. Or we all three look and we figure it out when somebody says Katie. Um, but no, overall, the original Katie Craft goes by Katie. Um, and then Jacob's brother's wife, Katie, goes by Katie P. That's her uh, maiden name initial. And then I go by Katie Ray. But... That's unofficial. That's just kind of what happens. <laughs> this is so cute. Wait, are, isn't your your husband's brother, isn't he married to his high school sweetheart too? Um, They met, so they were both in high school around the same time, Uh, but they met in college, I think. Ah, okay. See, again, I knew that, that it was linked back to actual high school days. Um. Yes. Just because, and then, but his sister and and our brother in law, um, yes, they are high school sweethearts as well. So, you know what? That just shows like the 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 quality of families in like how deep rooted wonderful people have to be there. Because I mean, to have love lasting through teenage years, college years, post college years, being married, and then having multiple children, and you guys have three girls, and then your brother and sister in law have three boys. How fun is that? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a blast. And then um, it, my husband's sister has two little girls as well. So yeah, we just have already, um, you know, a fun little crew of cousins going on. So it is a blast. Now, the ages of your daughters are almost five. Uh huh. Um- yeah, Eliza is almost five. Uh, Ruthie just turned three. And Gemma is seven months. Did you always know that you wanted to have a big family like yours? So I don't know that I thought about it that much. Um, I, I am not 
was not a person who planned that all out or anything. Um, as far as, you know, years and years ago, I did not picture myself, okay, I'm married by this age. I have this many kids by this age. I, I don't think that way. Um, so, but I think it was always kind of in, I mean, once my husband and I started talking about kids and stuff, it was always in our plan to have um, several kids. And just because we both come from bigger families and we know how much fun it is to grow up with built-in best friends, you know, or built-in people to fight with, either one. Um, and it's uh, it, it was something that's important to us to, to have a family um, in that way. So, um, and I don't, I mean you know, God willing, I don't think we're done yet. I think we'll probably have one more at least. So, um, yeah, it just feels, it just feels right at, at this point. So I know for sure that I always wanted to have kids. Like that was definitely on the to-do list. Even though my dad was one of eight kids, I knew I never wanted to have like eight kids because, well, I don't know if my body could handle that, <laughs> but having a big, having a big family, I'll never forget. I had, um, when my son was six weeks old, my grandma passed away, the mate, the matriarch of that family of eight kids. And I remember looking around the church thinking, oh my gosh, she created this. And while of course it was a very sad day at the same time, I was also thinking, I'm like, look what she made. I I want to be able to have, I don't think legacy is a little bit strong of a word, but mm -hmm. I want to be able to build this next generation and be the ones having kids and then having their kids and having great grandparents. And um, mm -hmm. it's definitely something that's like, and not even just a rite of passage, but like, I still look at my kids every single day and I am absolutely in awe. I'm like, these are mine. And I know my yeah. husband's always like, what are you talking about? I'm like, I don't know. It's just so crazy to look at your kids and think I created this, that I am theirs forever. And they are mine forever. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What a huge and amazing responsibility, right? Oh, exactly. Very <laughs> crazy responsibility. Now, since you've obviously had three at this point, do you have any of the like crazy labor stories, pregnancy stories, anything that it's like when you end up talking to other friends about childbirth that you're like, oh my gosh. And then you go into a story. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, each labor is so different. So different. That, but yeah, um, really just the fact that my babies just like to stay in forever. Um, even I thought with this last one, with my third one, um, you know, they say that the more kids you have, you know, the faster labor is sure, sure. and they'll come early potentially. And so here I am, you know, at 37 weeks thinking like, okay, you know, could be any day now. No, um, I had to be induced at 41 weeks and three days. <gasps> So, um, I just, at this point, I just have in my head that my due dates are wrong and I should just expect two weeks later. <laughs> um, anyway, it's, so that's really just sort of the crazy thing. And, um, I will say, I feel very, very grateful to feel good throughout my pregnancies. Really all three of mine, I've been able to stay active and I, um, teach bar classes at the Y and I've been able to to do bar classes. I was teaching bar classes at 41 weeks pregnant because what else is there to do at 41 weeks pregnant? You know, um, and I just feel grateful that I've had that experience. Now with my third one too, um, it had always been my goal to try to go natural just because that's a goal of mine. It's, you know, to each their own, but I just really wanted to have that experience. Um, and for various reasons with the first and second, it didn't happen. Um, but with Gemma, it, we were finally able to do it. And, um, even after being induced and it was the craziest, um, really most amazing experience 
ever. <laughs> and I'm so grateful to have had that. You know, I, you're, it's a goal that I always had too. And I bet, I wonder if your reason's the same. My mom had all three of us completely natural. Yeah. Same with my mom. Yeah. And I always thought, you know, if women over the last thousands of years, if they could do it in a barn or in a field or in, you know, exactly. like surely I can do it in mo- with all this modern medicine, you know? Um, and they're, yeah, it's, I'm just grateful to have had that experience at least once. So, Oh, I completely agree with you. And that's out of the three kids. It was my goal all three times. And it only happened once with my middle. And I'm like you in the sense that my babies have always been in until it till 40 weeks. I've never had my water break at this point. And (laughs) all these things that you assume happen. And I do have a lot of those friends that are like, Oh, I'm in labor at 37 weeks, 38 weeks. Oh, my water breaks every time. And I'm like, how? Yeah. Yeah. And people see you out, you know, at the grocery store or whatever. And they're like, Oh, surely it must be any day. Now you look huge. It must be any day. I'm like, well, you know, I'm 36 weeks. It's going to be about six more weeks. (laughs) Oh, that's my other favorite. Or especially when I don't know about you, you hit the third kid, you have the people that are like, you know how that happens, right? Was that a surprise? And I'm like, you do realize you're, actually asking us about our sex life and that's an odd yeah. question coming from a stranger right like <laughs> exactly exactly like thank you for inquiring but um yeah yeah we get it <laughs> so in between two and three for me i discovered that my dad had a blood clotting disorder and it they then discovered that it ran in with me too and so i became a high-risk pregnancy the third time but i hadn't been before because i didn't know about the disorder so the third time around they actually okay. introduced me or introduced me induced me at 39 weeks. And I really wanted to do what happened on the second time round, which was I was technically, technically in early labor when I went in, but I was there for my induction mm-hmm. appointment. So I'm like, yeah. um, yeah. kind of the same thing. Um, but I mean, I was hoping to be able to do the same thing because out of all three births, I still would choose the natural birth. Um, oh my gosh, that's crazy. It is yeah. being able to feel everything like that when your body's truly ready and ready to do with it. Did you have your at Baptist Floyd? Say it again. Did you have your babies at Baptist Floyd? Yes, I did. Did you ever have a nurse named Janet? Uh, with my first one with Eliza. Yes, I did. And she was amazing. I think she, maybe I'm wrong about this, but I thought they told me she retired at one point. Anyway, she yes, could have retired have since you and I have had our thirds. Cause our thirds are about a year apart. Okay. Um, but either okay. way, she was really great at natural labor. So she was with me on my yes. second and third. And during my second, like I decided to go get in the bathtub at one point, And then I felt like mm-hmm. a beached whale because I was too far into the labor process. So then the contractions okay. in water were freaking me out into thinking mm-hmm. I was drowning, which makes no sense. <laughs> So well, it, you know, nothing in labor makes any sense. No. Really. And so I told my husband, I was like, you have to get me out of the water. You have to get me out of the water. <laughs> and so in the, as soon as I stood up, Janet was like trying to help me get dried off and everything. And I was like, you need to go put me back in the bed. I'm going to have the baby now. And she was like, no, 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 no. We just checked you. And I was like, no, you have to. So they like send out my mom and my mother-in-law. And by the time they sat down in the waiting room, I had the baby because it wow. like, I just progressed, I guess my beached whale process in the bathtub. <laughs> progressed me along super fast. But I mean, it was at one point, Janet was standing there. She's like, we don't even have the room prepped. Nothing's ready. And I said, I'm going to have the baby on the side of the bed. She's like, can you wait? And I said, no, because my body is telling me to push right now. And then she whispered to me, she's like, I've delivered a lot of babies. So the doctor comes running in and then I feel Kennedy just slide down, slide right out. Now downside of this whole thing was my placenta got stuck and I had to go into emergency surgery. Don't recommend that part. Don't recommend that part. 
But then the second time, the third time, I was thinking, okay, my body just did this same thing. I was like, our bodies know what to do. But again, the biggest falsehood is that every labor is the same because they've all been so crazy different. But that one, I swear, I swear it felt like my body was being ripped in half every 60 seconds. And I was, I got to the point and Janet, of course, my little nurse, I love her. She was, I was trying to go through natural. She's like, don't let them break your water. It's going to hurt more. And I was like, no, it'll be fine. I can take it. Well, I got to the point. She's like, you got to relax your hips. And I'm like, how do you relax your hips? (laughs) When you feel like your body's being ripped in half, but eventually I got an epidural which that one was actually good. I hated the first one I'd gotten with my son. Same. I, my first one was horrible. I hated it. Yeah. And then it's like, and then you get the good one and it's like, oh, so when I had it that third time, I settled down and like 40 minutes later, Maggie came on out and I swear it was like the friends episode where she just like barely pushes when she's in labor and it's like, mm-hmm. yeah. and that's all I did. And <laughs> oh gosh, labor stories are so crazy. I lo- oh, I did. I don't know how I forgot this. With my second one, with Ruthie, she was breached oh. um, for a while, like 37 weeks, breached, 38 weeks, not, 39 weeks, breach again. And she was just flipping all the time. Um, and so I so wanted so badly to not have a C-section just because I knew what to expect, you know, with my first and I, a C-section would be something new. And, um, anyway, so I did all this, there's something called spinningbabies.com, and, uh, they have all these like just advice on how to get your baby to flip and none of it's proven or anything, but I mean, there are pictures of me upside down on the mattress with my feet up on the couch and laying on the floor. I mean, that was my positioning for the last two weeks of my pregnancy to get her to stay in the right position. Um, and then, so my doctor was worried that I'd go into labor by myself with her still in the breech position. So she set an induction date and we went in there. Um, she was still breech at that point. We were going to do a flip and an external version where the doctor flips her from the outside. Um, and it's only successful 50% of the time. And there's all this, you know, it's a little risky cause they can bruise you and all that. Um, and so she gave me the epidural for that, for the flip, um, looked on the ultrasound Ruthie was still breached. So she was like, okay, I'm getting up on top of the table. There's like the doctor and three nurses to try and help flip. Here we go. She got the ultrasound thing to check again. And she had flipped in that moment, like in two minutes. Oh my gosh. So so then, um, I can't believe I sort of forgot about this, but then my doctor was like, um, okay, she's not breached anymore. We didn't have to do the flip. Let's induce you right now. And so that was it. (laughs) It was crazy. Um, I'm almost curious now if we have probably the same group of doctors. (laughs) Was it? Yeah. Dr. Lewis. Oh, I'm in the same practice, but with Dr. Borden. Okay. Okay. Got it. Yeah. So again, small town, this is what happens. Um, But you you know what the labor stories, I I tell my husband this even now, like right now we're good with three. Um, I say right now, like we're done now. Um, But like the labor stories, even though they're some of the hardest moments in my life, they are the mm-hmm. most magical moments. And some of my favorite moments as a couple that mm-hmm. I've ever had. I mean, my mm-hmm. husband being there, I mean, my mom was there. My mother-in-law was there both times for all, th- or all three times in the room, not mm-hmm. during the actual labor, but up until the labor. And mm-hmm. it's like, the, but those moments with him, mm-hmm. sometimes I find myself reminiscing and missing those moments with him because there's nothing like getting through that. Mm-hmm. It's pretty amazing. And yeah, um, my mom was in for my first two. She's a nurse. So she was fabulous to have around um, for the first two. But then with Gemma, the last one, that was during COVID. So I could only have one person oh. in there. Um, so 
my husband was there too. And this is a longer story, but he actually is a nurse too. He doesn't work as a nurse anymore, but he, his undergrad is nursing. Um, and so he's fabulous too. Um, as far as all the medical stuff knows more than me and more comfortable with blood and everything than me. Um, but anyway, so it was just us with this last one and, um, yeah, magical is the word. Like it was just very cool how we had to rely on each other. And he, um, I had talked with him about like, okay, you know, if we're going to try to do a natural birth, I need to, I want to have all these plans for different positioning and whatever to, to move myself along. And so he then like had this list in his head and he was ready for like, okay, we've been in this position for a while. I know it's going to hurt, but hurting is good and nap and normal. So we're going to switch you to the next position. Like he had all this stuff in his mind and it was just great as a team to, to work through that. What was it like having a baby during COVID? Obviously your mom couldn't be there, but yeah. was was there a noticeable difference just in the whole process? Um, so I had her in October, which at that point it was sort of between spikes of COVID, right? Cause we had that initial sort of spike. And then the next one was closer to like December ish. So I had her at a pretty good time as far as the hospital itself was not super panicked. Um, about, you know, I, I didn't have to labor with my mask on or anything. Um, I did the doctor every time she came to check me, wanted me to wear a mask while she was checking me, but that was it. And then I could take it off. Um, and otherwise, I mean, we couldn't have people come visit, which again, very grateful for all of our family and friends who want to meet our children, but it was really kind of nice to just have quiet, <laughs> um, just us in the hospital and nobody could come to visit. Um, and, uh, so that, that part of it was kind of a blessing to be honest, but, um, otherwise there, I didn't really feel like it was dif as different as I thought it might be. Well, I think you're um, right because of the fact that you had her in October where there was a little bit yeah. more understanding. The vaccine was on the brink. Exactly. It was a little bit more yeah. clear as to what to do versus if it was March or April or May or yeah, even, for sure. I mean, I will say, and I'm sure you, you, given the fact that you have a big family with the other births, I'm sure you probably had a revolving door of people for days. Yes, especially with our first one. Oh, we did so this. So grateful for all the love. So <laughs> grateful. But I was in labor 30 hours with my son because yeah. I tried to natural labor for like 14 hours. And then the epidural yeah. slowed everything down. He, his heart rate yep. wasn't, with this, yeah. the epidural wasn't responding well with his heart rate uh -huh. and mine. And then he was face mm -hmm. down, but he was face up. So, uh, or like, he like head down, face up. So they didn't realize okay. it was sunny side up. So it took me three hours to push him out after being awake for over 24 straight. And yeah. so then it, it was 10 o'clock in the morning. So then that afternoon, of course, person after person's coming in. And I remember my husband dozing off and just like falling asleep in the chair. And I'm thinking back now going, what were we doing? Of course, we're so excited. We're so grateful. But then with the third, we had so many less visitors. And I've actually heard several of my friends are labor and delivery nurses. They're like, it's actually really special to witness just the mom and dad bond with those babies, those first three days, two days, three days versus having how many people in there. Yeah. And um, someone had said this, I, I don't know if it was our nurse or somebody, they had said that they wouldn't be surprised if that rule kind of doesn't ever go away because it's so nice to not have such a crowded, um, uh, postpartum room or a crowded mother baby area. 
um, because it just stays more quiet and everybody's more calm. And that's kind of what it needs to be, I think. I mean, I agree with that. So No, and I don't disagree with you either because my third was born in November. And when she was born in the hospital room, when my kids were able to come see her in the hospital room, Mm -hmm. as I kissed my son goodbye, I noticed he had a fever. And I was like, oh my God. And I start panicking and calling the nurses in the hospital, calling the pediatrician. And I was like, literally my 24 hour old baby was just around my son with a fever. And then less than two weeks after being home, my other daughter came home with RSV and it was, and they were like, I know it's Thanksgiving, but you need to send your daughter to the other grandparents house. That's not your house. And you need to separate your kids. So, I mean, the thought of not allowing visitors in hospital during, especially RSV and flu season and let alone COVID and everything like that. Like, I agree with you. I think that's actually a pretty positive rule to have as far as like limiting germs and contact and encouraging rest and bonding, especially if you're breastfeeding. Right. Oh my goodness. A lot of um, bonding, like you said, a lot of bonding and a lot of time that you just need to figure yourself out and figure the baby out. And um, yeah, it's nice to have kind of that quiet time. (laughs) Now I will say too, because of COVID and because everything checked out fine with the baby and with me, we were out of there in less than, uh, was it less than 24 hours? Yeah. It was about 24 hours after I had her. Um, because of COVID, they didn't want people just staying in the hospital for longer. And I will say, I had almost wished that we could stay in the hospital just a little bit longer because coming home with a newborn to two other kids was like a little bit of a shock. Um, um, also for your but, body. Yes. Yeah. So um, that I could have had a little bit longer. Not that I love staying in a hospital, but you know, it's it is nice to have someone also care of you. bringing you food and checking exactly. on you and giving you your medicine. Exactly. I mean, yes. and you just get to sit still and not take care of other children. That's also yeah. something that's in there for sure. Now, yeah. something else that I know that you've maintained. So you did go to college about teaching music, of course, in mm-hmm. the steps of Angela Hampton, who is absolutely phenomenal at what she does. But at one point you moved away from teaching in a traditional setting and you just became strictly focused on more of your own own pra- or your own, I would say pra- practice isn't the word. What would you call it? Like studio? Yes. Is that what yes. Yes. Um, yeah. So I was a public school choir and theater director um, and middle school uh, and loved it. Loved every minute of it. I loved my students. I mean, it's hard work, but it's, it was, I just loved it. And I really do miss it um, almost every day, just being in the community of a school and um, getting those those experiences with those kids every single day consistently is just really cool. Um, but once I had my first daughter, um, I really felt like I was missing out on a lot of, I mean, as any, as any mom, working mom feels, you know, um, there are things that we feel like we miss out on and um, time goes too fast. And my heart and my brain were focused on lots and lots of things at school and evenings and weekends being the theater director too. Um, and so made the very hard decision, uh, yeah, to leave that school and, um, focus on sort of a smaller, more contained, more, um, oh, gave me some of my own time more (laughs) with my kids. Um, so I opened a voice studio and I also knew that it was a need in this area. That was a big, um, kind of catalyst for this too. Um, so many of my choir kids were coming up to me saying, Miss Crafty, do you teach voice or do you know anyone who teaches voice? And there are a couple, there were definitely a few studios in the area, but they're all filled and they'll have waiting lists. And so, um, 
I knew that there was a need for that too. And so it was very hard for me to see that need and not, um, and also see how that could give me some more, um, time to enjoy kids, my, my own kids and time to, um, you know, focus more on healthy eating and, and all around wellness that I am also passionate about, um, that I, I couldn't even have the mental space for when I was, um, teaching in a school and all the busyness around that. So, so is, do you find it just as fulfilling to have your own studio now? I do. It's, it's fulfilling in a different way for sure. Um, because when you have choir or theater, you know, as a class during the school day, um, you get all kinds of kids, um, you know, from the kids who maybe want to do that as a career to the kids who on the other spectrum, maybe don't even want to be there. And so it's a very, um, fun, creative challenge, um, especially in middle school to, to, um, motivate those kids and motivate a big group, you know, a classroom of 65 fifth and sixth graders. Um, that kind of creative challenge is very different than in a studio when they, they're paying to come there. Most of them want to be there, you know, um, and they want to improve very specifically in, in their craft. Um, and so, yeah, it is different, but it is the, the same amount of fulfilling, you know, um, I, especially now a couple of years into owning a studio, it's been really cool to see the community that has grown around it. Um, some of the same families and same students who were also my students actually in school when I taught in school, um, they've been with me for a few years now. And so it's just fun to see everyone recognizing each other at, at recitals that we have and, um, seeing each other grow, um, as vocalists and as, as people. Um, and yeah, that's just been really cool, especially we just had our recital a couple days ago. So I'm still kind of riding the high of that and, um, just very, very proud of all my students. So that's been cool to see and kind of an unexpected side, um, side perk, I guess that a, a little community is growing. So do you think your daughters will end up following in the performance footsteps? Um, they, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to try to project that onto them. That's for sure. I'm not going to be the one who, the parent who forces that into them at all, but we just sing around the house all the time. I mean, naturally to, to, you know, singing again is a great motivator. So if they, you know, I don't know if they aren't listening to something, I'll make it into a singing game or something, and then they'll be excited to do it. Um, and they love, I mean, Kurt right now, as you know, almost five and almost three year old, they love, love singing. And we have a little stage in our house actually, and they'll get up and perform on that. And, um, they're singing all the time. So I would be surprised if it's not in their life when they grow up a little bit, but you know, I'm not going to force that. I'll, I'll support it and I'll try to sing to them and with them as much as I can when I have control over that in our home, in our home. But I love it because I don't, I can't imagine my life without music in it. Oh, yeah. Between obviously, yes, it started with, of course, my parents singing in the church choir and then me starting in the choir. And then that morphs into me like playing, being in orchestra and violin lessons mm -hmm. and then voice lessons because I'm a product of that. And doing, mm -hmm. I also did Weber dance briefly. I'm not a dancer. Um, <laughs> I liked focusing. I was, Hannigan was my voice lessons teacher, yeah. like literally when she first started. Um, yeah. And her husband, Jason, was, was my director when he was still helping out Mr. Bundy and stuff like that. But all of those things all compile such a massive part of who I am. Mm -hmm. And so I hope that in some way, shape and form, music also follows my kids. And I'm sure you yeah. agree too. I just think it's yeah. such, 
any mood that I'm in, music can accommodate me. And I've always told people <laughs> at work, like, if you need a music therapy session, come to my office. We'll figure out what you like, what you need to listen to. Do you need to cry? Do you need to feel angry? Do you need to pick me up? Do you need some nostalgia? Because that's how I formulate. And I've warned people. I'm like, if you see one of these, if, if you hear this coming out of my office, stay away. If you hear this coming, come in, ask and check on me. If you hear this, I'm in the best mood possible. So it's just funny because like, there's a little Rolodex of music for me that it really identifies me at any day, any time. Um, yeah. So I'm sure that's a huge part of why you continue to enrich kids' lives with music too. Definitely. And Hannigan was my voice teacher uh, as well in high school. So that's so fun that we have that connection mm -hmm. too. She's just great. Um, and when I think of all the great times I had with her and with my um, private piano teachers growing up, um, that it's awesome and humbling um, to know that I have hopefully um, that I'm giving my own students that same experience. Um, and, you know, it was just a little 30 minute, 40 minute, um, you know, therapy session or whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, once a week, it's, it's pretty cool. Um, the connections you can make to those kids because yeah, music is a vulnerable thing for sure. And, and approachable to anybody as a human, whether you're a musician or not, you know? Oh, I completely agree. Hannigan specifically. I mean, I was so unbelievably shy when she first met me and I had no confidence in my singing whatsoever. And she's the one who really took me under her wing. Like I can take kind of what I'll call a little bit more gruff guidance and <laughs> from people, but I need at least one person that's truly the support, the one pushing and seeing what can be there. And Hannigan was that person for me. And I, actually I podcasted mm -hmm. with her when she was doing her, what was it like little theater songs a day when the first lockdown, when the first yes. lockdown started, she was yeah. recording songs every day on her piano and singing. I mean, she is uh -huh. just one of the, those people in my life that was like an instrumental milestone for changing the trajectory of where I would go. Mm -hmm. And so I will always be insanely fond of her. And like, heck, I was weeping at a something with musical theater this morning. It's just, it, it, there's something <laughs> about it. I feel like anytime I watch a musical now or any type of show, mm -hmm. I sit there and I feel like I'm almost holding my breath, yeah. listening to the singing because I just know how hard they're working and it just yeah. courses through my veins in a different way. Yes, I, I totally feel that too. And it's going to be amazing when we can get back into live theater and live performing and all of that uh, as an audience member or as a, somebody on stage. Um, because, yeah, it's just been lacking for a while. Mm -hmm. Speaking of just hearing up listening to music, yeah. Um, the other night I was just listening to some, some choral music that had nothing, you know, it was not like an emotional song or anything. Um, but... Yeah, just hearing you're exactly right. A group of people come together working hard towards the same um the same outcome is just yeah, inspiring. And um I was in here too just listening on, you know, my little AirPods. Um so it's all day long while I work from home. That's literally what I'm doing is listening to different things and going through the Dear Evan Hansen trailer came out. Oh and that's yes. when I was looking, listening to that. I was just like, Oh no. Yeah. Yeah. Can't, can't listen to that right now. Can't do it. No, 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 no. I was like, I'm just going to end up in the, if I go see this one in movie theaters, I'm just going to be sitting there. I'm, although I'm pretty sure everyone is going to be just sitting there sobbing together and it's going to be quite a mess. 
Mm-hmm. It's okay. We're all human, right? We've all a, had that experience at some point. It's a hundred percent true. Katie, mm-hmm. thank you so much for joining me today. You are wonderful and you always have been. You're just one of those people that is always smiling, always showing love. And I'm so glad you took a moment to hang out with me today. And I can't wait till I can actually say hello and see you in person. <laughs> Yes, and give you a hug, right? Exactly. We we hug. (laughs) Thank you so much. It was really fun to talk with you. Thank you, Katie. Have a good day.